Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 190 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the importance of examining ourselves. Let's dive in. One of the great benefits of difficulties and hardships and persecutions and trials is that it refines our lives and purifies our heart and our motives. It's, it's like that illustration of a goldsmith who takes a piece of gold and puts it in a flame, in, in the fire. And it's in the heat of the fire that the dross of the gold, as it melts, rises to the surface so the goldsmith can wipe it off. And as the goldsmith removes the impurity and removes the dross, what begins to happen is the gold actually becomes more refined, more beautiful, and more precious. Well, that's actually one of the great benefits of difficulty and hardships in our lives. In fact, over and over throughout scripture, we are reminded that, hey, we should not balk at difficulty. In fact, we should rejoice in the midst of our sufferings and trials and difficulties because we know that those trials and those difficulties is working something great in our lives. So whether you look at James chapter one or Romans chapter five, what you begin to see is this exhortation that we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our weaknesses because as we allow the strong arm of our God to use the circumstances around us, what begins to take place is that there's a refinement, a purification that takes place in our lives. That is so important and essential for the life of a believer. It's similar to that idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It's interesting that Corinth at the time that Paul is writing to them is not a healthy church. There's a lot of just worldliness in the church of Corinth. There's a lot of just junk and immorality and impurity and just mis mishandling of the word of God that's taking place in that church. So a lot of what the letters of Corinthians are doing is Paul is exhorting those in the church to <laughs> remove the dross, allow God to refine them, to remove the junk, remove the impurity so they can actually be the Christians, the church that God is desiring them to be. And it's interesting that in Paul's second letter to those in 
Corinth, he says this again in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet that test. It's interesting that Paul is exhorting the Corinthians that they should examine and test themselves. Now, it's interesting that when you look up those words in Greek, both of those are an imperative, active, present tense word. In other words, these are commands that they are to actively be doing. In other words, they're responsible for this action. But it's interesting to me that it's in the present tense. And again, I've mentioned this before, but in Greek, the present tense isn't just a present tense like we would think of in terms of like it happens right now, but it's this idea of the ever present tense. So what Paul's really telling those in Corinth is that that you are to test and examine yourselves all the time, that you are consistently supposed to be looking in and saying, all right, am I actually a part of the faith? Am I allowing junk in my life? Are there things in my life that should not be? In other words, I'm to consistently realize, as Paul says in this passage, that if I am a believer, then Jesus Christ does live in me. And I need to make sure that I am passing that test, that I'm not just getting swayed by the world. I'm not just living in the mindset or the junk or the impurity of the world. I need to examine and I need to test myself to make sure that I'm in the faith. Now, that may sound like a rather odd statement. However, as I look at the modern landscape today, one of the things I've noticed that actually I think in one sense it is a great benefit and in another it is deeply sad. But as you look at the landscape of the church this last year, what you discover is that it has been a refining year for the church. Because of the COVID shutdown stuff, what you begin to see is that there are some churches who even after nine or ten months, whatever it's been now, still have not opened their doors. It is, a, it is as if they're waiting for the government to give them permission to actually be what God has called them to be, the church. And it's interesting that what is beginning to happen is even some of the churches that are reopening are kowtowing and literally trying to appease the social governmental world of today. Well, the Christians of yesteryear have always been hated. We've always faced trials and sufferings and persecutions. So why are we, (laughs) this is so crazy to me, why are we trying to kowtow to the government or kowtow to what society thinks the church should be? Rather, we are Christians. We should be influencing the culture. We should be the ones standing for truth, not bowing to, oh, government. And yes, we do need to treat our governmental leaders well, and we do need to honor them as much as it doesn't forsake our conscience. And yet what I've been noticing is that in the midst of all of this stuff, there are churches that are no longer being churches. Now, I actually see this as a good thing in one sense, because for the last several decades, we as the modern church have become much more of a country club than we have a church. I heard a great illustration this last week, and he says, As the church as a whole, we either need to choose whether we're going to remain as a cruise ship or whether we're actually going to become a battleship. See, the church was made to be a battleship, which I was like, that is such a great illustration that this whole time for the last several decades, we have swung into this idea of being relevant to the culture. We're trying to appease the modern masses. 
So as such, we become this cruise ship. We're, we're all about entertainment and food and just fun and, and hey, come and we'll have a great rock band and it'll, just, it'll be just like the culture with a little bit of Jesus thrown in. But that's not the church. What is the church? The church is actually a battleship that changes and influences the lives of the people around us, that we are to take over the culture, not in a military sense, even though you could use it as a metaphor because that is used in scripture, but it's not out of, uh, out of a gun or it's not out of force. Our military strategy is out of love. We don't coerce people. We don't fight people. We pray for people and we love them. And the reason I see this season as actually a, a, it's been a positive season in one sense, is that it has been purifying the motives of the modern church, that it is becoming more and more clear of those who are either a, if I can use that illustration, a cruise ship or a battleship. And even in our individual lives, I think this has been a great season because it has been refining us. It's been revealing our motives. Am I actually in the faith? Do I actually believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he the King of Kings and Lord of Lords of my life? Or do I merely show up on Sundays and, and know the stories and go through the songs, but it actually hasn't affected my life? And I think for too many Christians in our modern age, we have been content to be this country club cruise ship style of church where we think we're fine. We think we're safe just because we attend some meeting at some building, but that doesn't make me a Christian. What makes me a Christian? Well, Jesus is very clear in John 17, three, he says, this is eternal life. So if you want eternal life, what is that? Jesus says, this is eternal life that they might believe in you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I've walked through this several times on this podcast, but that word there for knowledge or know is my favorite Greek word, gnosko. And it's not just having information about God. It's about having a relationship with God. See, Satan and the demonic hordes have lots of information about God, but they will not be saved. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. And again, I think this season has been good because it's been exposing the fact that a lot of people may have a lot of information about church or about God or about the word of the Lord, and yet they have not been living it. They've actually not put their belief in him. And again, belief in scripture is not some mental assent. The idea, actually, the, the best mental image I have is, you know, and I, I've walked this I've walked you through this before, but you know, we get up, get up on an airplane and I say, look, it's an amazing view. And so I open up the side door. And as you look at this amazing view out of the airplane, I come up behind you and I push you out of the airplane. And then as you're starting to fall, I go, oh, you probably want a parachute. So I grab this parachute and I throw it towards you. Now I yell out of the airplane, do you believe in the parachute? Now, if all you did is you looked up and you saw the parachute and you said, yes, I believe in that parachute. You have mental assent. You have mental belief about the parachute. You may know all the workings of a parachute, but you've not experienced the salvation of that parachute. So though you may have a mental assent of the parachute, you actually have not believed it. Well, what does it mean to believe then? Well, it means you somehow make your way over to the parachute. You put on the parachute and then you hold on to that parachute for all you can, because that is your sole means of salvation before you go splat. 
Well, the same is true with the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not some mental assent. It's not just, well, can you, can you know these, you know, can you pass this true false test? Or can you give this little great doctrinal statement? Or it's not just, hey, do you have information? Or do you even attend church? None of those things are going to save us. What is going to bring salvation in our lives? What brings this redemptive, salvific reality to our souls? Oh, it is repenting and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's believing, having faith in him. And it's just like a parachute. It's not mental ascent. We've actually got to grab a hold and put it on. So in John 17, 3, when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you might actually embrace, gnosko, have relationship and intimacy, experience with me. That's what it means to be saved. So let me ask you, as Paul would exhort those in Corinth, have you recently examined yourselves and tested yourself to see if you actually are in the faith or whether you just merely esteem it? Because you can hang out around a lot of godly people and think you have something when in reality, you don't have anything. It's like that individual who hangs out with the people who are going to the gym every day and they're talking about the workouts and they're talking about the sweat and they're talking about the fact that their body hurts. And you, you could sit there and go, yeah, that's so good. And wow, I really esteem that. But that doesn't mean you spend any time lifting weights. That, that doesn't mean you spend any time actually uh, letting the weight affect your life. And wouldn't it be sad if we get to the judgment seat of Christ and you realize that this whole time, all I've done is I've said the right things, I sung the songs, but I actually never believed. I actually never had relationship with Jesus. That, yeah, I attended church and I went through all the duties and, and I went through the regulations and all that kind of stuff, but it was just dead religion rather than a vibrant relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I exhort you, like Paul, to actively, present tense, examine and test yourself to see if you're in the faith? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is to be inside of you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet that test. And if you find yourself going, actually, yeah, I, I don't think I have it. I actually, I'm actually questioning whether I'm even in the faith. Well, the simple solution is this. Repent. Re believe. Throw yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ, for there is still time to grab a hold of him. There's still time of salvation. The, the door is still open and you can be saved. And isn't it a wonderful thought that he desires all men to be saved? He desires that everyone in this world would be saved. Now, that doesn't mean they will be, but that is his desire, according to his word. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his son, that whosoever, by the way, that includes you and me, that whosoever would believe, again, it's that parachute idea, would actually believe in him, not mental ascent, but actually grab a hold and apprehend him to actually have relationship and intimacy and put my active faith in him, then I would be saved. That's an amazing reality that I don't have to clean up my act. I don't have to become perfect in order to be saved. That while I was yet a sinner, while I was living in rebellion, Christ Jesus died for me, which means I can come to Jesus just as I am. And the beautiful reality is, though I may come in my rebellion and my sin, he refuses to leave me that way. 
that he refuses just to, to leave me in my sin. He refuses to leave me in the junk. He wants to radically change and transform my life. I mentioned this just a couple of weeks ago, but I've been pondering this idea from Matthew 24 and 25, and, and I've just been meditating upon this idea of whether or not we as the body of Christ are actually in the faith. And again, I know there's a lot of genuine Christians, so I'm not trying to downplay anyone's faith or really press on that reality. If you have genuine faith, praise the Lord. But again, I think there's far too many people sitting in our pews today that are just merely faking, faking it. They're just merely going through the motions. And it's interesting when I, when I look at Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about his second coming and the fact that he is returning soon, which is just an exciting thought. But he gives a series of illustrations. And in, at the end of Matthew 24 through Matthew 25, he gives four distinct illustrations of two groups. And these groups are contrasted. And in, in each of these cases, one group is in, one group is out. And so really quickly, what you, what you see in Matthew chapter 24 is that at the end of Matthew 24, starting in verse 5, you, you have this illustration of the faithful and the unfaithful servant. In Matthew chapter 25, you have the parable of the 10 virgins. So you have five virgins with oil and five virgins without oil. And then in verse 14 of Matthew 25, you have the parable of the talents. So you have these three individuals, you know, one, one person receives five talents, one receives two, and one receives one. And by the way, talent is a money term, not, not like abilities and skills and talents, that sense. And then in Matthew 25, verse 31, you have this illustration of the sheep and the goats. And the interesting thing to me is I've been just reflecting on these passages is the fact that in each of these cases, both groups presume that they're fine. Both groups presume that they've made it. For example, in Matthew 24, the faithful and the unfaithful servant, isn't it interesting that both of them are servants of the master? In the parable of the virgins, all 10 of them are virgins. And at the very beginning, they do all have oil. But what they find is that one group of five were ready. The other five weren't ready. When you look at the parable of the talents, two of these individuals did something with that money and actually brought increase while the other one just went and hid it. And yet he could say, well, I'm doing fine. I'm, I, I received something from the master and, and hey, I, I'm returning it. And then in the last case with the sheep and the goats, is it interesting that they're both a part of a flock? Hey, they're both these animals that make the same sound. And yet the scary thought to me is that in each of these four cases, one of those groups is condemned and judged. And so though both groups presume that they were safe, though both groups presumed that would, they would make it in, into eternity, though both groups presumed they would receive some sort of a reward, one of those groups is rewarded, one of those groups are condemned and judged. And I think it's a scary reality for a lot of people in the modern church who just think that because we're going to church and just because we know the songs and because we may know the doctrine, hey, I, I must be okay. When in the reality is it's, it's more than doctrine. It, it's more than just head knowledge that gets us into heaven. We need relationship and intimacy with God himself. When you look at Revelation chapter 21, again, this is such a scary verse to me, because as you look at Revelation 21 verse 8, it's listing the groups of people who will not make it into heaven. In fact, they are 
literally thrown into a lake of fire. So listen to this group. It's the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. And it says that their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So if I have a lack of faith, if I allow sexually sexual immorality in my life, if I turn my gaze, gaze upon idolatry, and by the way, that doesn't mean I'm merely worshiping Buddhist statues. Anything in my life that replaces God at the forefront of my life, that becomes an idol. So it could be success. It could be money. It could be popularity. It could be fame. It could be my family. So even good things in, in one sense could actually be an idol in my life. Sorcery. And you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't play with the magic stuff. And yet there are so many video games and movies and books that are all wrapped up in this idea of the demonic and the sorcery and the witchcraft and, and that whole reality. You realize it's a very, it's a slippery slope into darkness the moment I begin to trifle with some of this junk. That if I allow lies in my life, that liars end up in the lake of fire. And here's the one that actually, that actually intimidates me. The first one on the list is the cowards. So, all right, I understand if, if I have no faith, all right, I'm not going to make it. All right, I understand that if I live a, a life of sexual immorality or I'm an idolater or I'm a liar or a murderer, okay, that makes sense. But a coward, you realize what a coward is, is those who are lacking boldness, those who are living in fear. And for a lot of us in the church, we are cowardly when it comes to sharing our faith. And isn't it interesting that that word for cowardly shows up three times in the Bible and the two other times it shows up, both of them are in the context of Jesus looking at his disciples and he says, why are you afraid or why are you cowardly? You of little faith. That's a scary thought to me. Now I say all of this, not, <laughs> not to, not to condemn anybody. It's more of an exhortation for all of us to freshly recognize that, as Paul says, we should examine and test ourselves. We shouldn't just presume that we are great and safe and, oh, I got my ticket to heaven or my get out of hell free card just because that I, I may attend a local body or I, I know some certain words or I passed a true and false test of spiritual doctrine. Do I actually have relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I put on the Lord Jesus Christ as my garment of salvation? Do I actually have faith in him? Have I repented and believed? Because that is the means of salvation. Repent and believe. And isn't it interesting that in the early days of the church, Christians were easily identifiable to the world around them, that they looked different from the world. That's actually the word saint. It's the holy ones that a Christian is a holy one, that they're set apart, different, and other than the world around them. So if you examine your life and you begin to notice that the way that you think, the way that you talk, that which you watch and you know dream about, and your whole life actually looks just like the world around you, well, then I would exhort you to maybe spend some time at the foot of the cross and say, Holy Spirit, would you examine my heart? Would you see if there's any wicked way within me? Because I'm to look different from the world around me. I should be thinking different 
than the world around me. I should be talking different than the world around me because I am a Christian, if indeed you are. And if you're not a Christian, can I encourage you, don't delay. Don't put this off. Don't just presume that you have something. Oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. I'm one of the 10 virgins. Yes, but five of those were guilty. I, hey, I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Yeah, but one of those servants was thrown out. Well, hey, the master gave me talent. Great, but one of those guys that got talent was thrown out. Well, hey, at least I'm in the flock. Yeah, that's true. But the goats were thrown into judgment. Oh, dear friend, would you examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith? And if you're not, oh, we have a good and loving Savior who desperately, overwhelmingly desires for you to have life and life abundant. And it is so easy to embrace the reality of Jesus Christ. Throw yourself upon his grace, seek his mercy, repent for your sin, and believe in him. Put on that parachute known as Jesus Christ and begin to fellowship and walk in his ways. Get to know him through his word and have relationship with him. For as Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know, gnosko, experience, have relationship, intimacy with you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Oh, I I want to spend eternity with you. And I am so excited for the return of Christ, whenever that may be. But I do know this, we are one day closer to the return of Christ than ever before in human history. So don't delay, examine yourself, test yourself, throw yourself upon Jesus and walk in the light and the life of him. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 190 for episode 190. And until next time, know I'll be praying for you as you examine and test yourself and as you build your life around Jesus Christ.